As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes a day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Pray with me. Father, how we love you how we love your church, how we love the people that you have purchased by your own blood, you have filled with your spirit and you've knit us together. And I just give you thanks and I give you thanks for the work that you've been doing here in this particular local congregation. I've been so encouraged to see the genuine love for one another. And we give you praise and we give you praise for today. It's a good day. This is the day you've made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we pray for continued reopening, not only of our city and state, but of the nation as well. And Father, we hate, we hate seeing the state of our country. It's discouraging to see things falling apart on multiple levels. And so we pray that you would strengthen your church to be a light in an increasingly dark place. God, I pray for the family of George Floyd. I pray in particular for his children, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself, him and his loved ones, Lord, that you would use this to strengthen faith in those who know you, but also just in the broader scheme, Lord, that your church would be strengthened, that you would steal our ribs and that we would be intentional in all things, Lord, that we would bring unity doing our role. What I pray for our law enforcement officers, would you protect them? Would you give them moral courage and conviction and clarity? And may our members be particular witnesses around them. Lord, give the government wisdom as they deal with all sorts of problems and competing cries. Lord, give them your wisdom. Give them your righteousness. And Lord, we know that ultimately only the gospel is the solution. And so we pray for gospel promotion and gospel expansion. At the end of the day, there will be no true unity without Jesus Christ as Lord. And so may your gospel go forth. May your churches proclaim it clearly. Lord, would you encourage us this morning and would you challenge us by your word? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is so good to finally see you. It has been probably the longest 10 weeks of my life for multiple reasons. I do want to say thank you to the staff uh, for doing so well. We've done our best to be creative. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, try to be creative and care for you well uh, in, in the midst of this. I'm really proud of them. I'm proud of the team God's put together. I also just want to say thanks to Jim Day. Is that Jim back there? Can't see. Thank you, Jim. Jim has served us so well for 10, 12 weeks. 
Gladly. Appreciate you, brother. And as, as Nathan mentioned, what I think I miss the most is hearing you sing. Southside, I don't know if you know this, especially those of you who've been here a while, Southside sings so strong. I love boasting about you when I'm talking with pastor friends on my church praises the Lord. And oftentimes when we have visitors, that's what they go away. Man, the preaching is all right, but the singing, <laughs> boy, they sing strong. And so I've missed that. And you know, Ephesians 5 tells us that we sing songs to one another. Obviously we're praising God, but we encourage one another by our singing. So I know you know that, that's why you sing strong, but let me encourage you to continue to sing strong, not only because God is worthy, but as you do that, you're encouraging one another. Alicia and I went to Weatherford last weekend to do the wedding for, for Cooper Osborne and Andrea Morlet. Maybe you know them, they're members. They're actually in Fort Worth now for the summer and we'll go on to Southern Seminary uh, from there this fall, Lord willing. But on our way, we were listening to some old hymns and there was an old hymn I hadn't heard in a long time. Maybe you know it, it's called How Sweet and Awful, meaning like full of awe, the good kind of awful, is the place. Let me read to you a line that just struck me as I thought about this Sunday. It says, we long to see thy churches full that all the chosen race may with one voice and heart and soul sing thy redeeming grace. And so it's good to be back. It's not what we want, but it is a good step and we'll take it as we continue to move forward with reopening. And I'm thankful to be in Texas. Uh, Texan at this time. I've talked with pastor friends in other states. I've been very thankful for our governor and just for some of the Texas uh, forward movements, uh, opening things up as phase two. And y'all be praying that we just continue for phase three. I'm glad to be able to go to the gym again. Not because I like working out, uh, but because I need to work out just to manage my own stress. And maybe y'all have seen Planet, Planet Fitness's slogan, it's a judgment-free zone. They want to recruit new members. Hey, it's a judgment-free zone. I confess that when I go to the gym, I'm not judgment-free. Every time I go, I judge two types of people. If you go to the gym, you probably have them as well. Number one, the screamers, the grunters. They just want everybody to know how hard they're working over there on that bench. And number two is the mirror guy. He just, he's just locked in, man. He's just you know, flexing, looking at that mirror the whole time, you know. You've probably seen Jim Gaffin. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to work on myself. While I look at myself, while I read myself magazine to improve myself. <laughs> well, the church needs to be, we're going to learn from Romans 14, turn there with me. The church is to be a judgment-free zone when it comes to differing opinions and secondary and tertiary matters. Now, there are things to fight over. No one wants to do this even in the church anymore. But there are times when division is actually needed. But it's the first order issues. It's the fundamentals of the faith. It's not mere opinions. As has been said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. In all things. Charity is that old word for love that we've seen so much of, right? In Romans 12, Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Nathan show helpfully showed us Romans 13, 8 and 13, 10. Owe no one nothing but to love one another. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. We're going to see next week, Romans 14, 15, we need to walk according to love. So that's what we're talking about again today. Love when it comes to differing opinions. And listen, friends, turn on the news. We've got to get better at this. And the church needs to be leading the way. Paul wrote Romans for a whole lot of reasons. We've talked about them a few times. Let me remind you, number one, just to honor God, to glorify God. Number two, to help the church understand the gospel. Romans is a meaty book, isn't it? 
but not just understand, also to experience the gospel. And he also wrote to unite the congregation around the gospel. And that's where we're going to focus this morning. But he also wants to get the gospel out, to export the gospel. And then he wants to raise money. In some ways, Romans is a missionary support letter because Paul needs to get that gospel to Spain. Romans 14.1 to 15.7, where we'll be the next month, is a unit of thought focused on unifying the congregation around the gospel. Because if we're not on the same page, the gospel won't go forth. Division diverts attention, energy, time from the mission of God. So what was going on? What was the division? What was the tension in this church that Paul's writing in part to address? Well, there was this pandemic and some of the church, I'm just kidding. We'll get there in a minute. What was actually going on was that the church started with primarily Jewish, like all New Testament churches did. And there was political division. People didn't like the Jews that were causing a ruckus. Well, Claudius, the Roman emperor, kicks all the Jews out of the congregation. So they're gone. They are gone from Rome. And five or six years later, he lets them back in. So think about the church. The church at Rome starts here, starts, and it's doing fine. All of a sudden, all the Jewish people are gone from the church. And so it's a predominantly Gentile church. Well, you probably know that Gentiles had different customs than Jews did. So when he invites the Jews back in, there was this potential for division and tension in the church. They're very culturally different. And we're going to see in Romans 14, there were two main issues that were causing tension. The issues of diet and days. Diet and observing days. So meet me at Romans 14 if you're not there yet. And if you're turning there, let me encourage you, if you're not having a regular Bible reading plan, jump in with us. Jump in with F260. We send it in our weekly email because right now we're in Romans. It'd be a great time for you to jump in and be reading Romans as we continue to walk through the rest of the summer, the latter part of Romans. Here's the main point. The strong should accept the weak. The weak in faith should not be judged over mere opinions. Paul's going to lay out why. Look at verse 1. As for those, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Here it is, the main point, except the weak. Well, who are these weak in faith? Well, they're people that were weak in understanding the gospel. They were weak in understanding the freedom that Christ brings. They were weak in understanding the finished work of Jesus. They were really weak in understanding everything Paul had said so far in Romans. They were weak in understanding that great doctrine, justification by faith alone, which so much of Romans is about. Paul spends so much time on this doctrine because we need to know it. One, just in our own worship, we need to know that our standing with God is secure, not by how well we work, but by trusting in Jesus Christ. Faith and faith alone. It's why we're Protestants. It's a really important doctrine. But also because Paul knows if we get this doctrine, stuff like division over secondary matters is just not going to be a problem. Because at the root of it is self-righteousness. And justification eradicates self-righteousness. Let's just remind ourselves, it's been a while, of this precious truth. Flip back over to Romans chapter 3. The essence of the, of the teaching is that God requires perfect righteousness. Bad news is none of us are perfectly righteous. The good news of justification is we can be declared in the rights, granted the status of righteous, sins forgiven by faith, not by works. It's the greatest news in all the world. It's the heart of the gospel. Romans 3, verse 19. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, declared in the right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Declared in the right, not by works, but by faith. Look down at Romans 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Romans 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The opposite of condemnation is justification. This is the good news of the gospel. Friends, if this doesn't fill your cells, something's wrong. Maybe it's because you don't understand it fully. But when we understand our sin and we understand God's holiness, the fact that Jesus paid the penalty we deserve that we might be counted righteous by faith ought to make us rejoice. And it will keep us from judging others. That was the problem with the weak. The weak in faith had lost focus on this gospel. They didn't get the freedom that the gospel brings. They were caught up with following the law with diet and days. Look at verse two, Romans 14, verse two. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So some were vegetarians, not for health reasons here, but for spiritual purity. They were caught up with the Jewish law. And remember the Jewish law had commanded they couldn't eat certain types of meats especially pork, and the pork was a really popular meat in the first century, so there was a lot of pork available. They wouldn't eat that. They couldn't drain the blood and eat the blood, so like, well, you know, we'll just, we'll just avoid meat altogether. Uh, and then there was also in Rome a bunch of, bunch of pagan temple rituals that meat would be sacrificed to false gods and then sold in the market. Well, wait, that, that meat's tainted. I can't, I can't go there. They're weak in faith. They're caught up on secondary issues following certain Jewish customs. It's what they were used to. Not to be saved, but just to do it for tradition's sake. And Paul says they're weak. Other people are strong. Strong people get the freedom. They get justification by faith. They're not concerned with following customs. But here's the issue. How should each of them act towards one another? Look at verse three. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. 
and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So the strong, even though they're in the right, they shouldn't despise the weak. And the weak should not judge the strong. There should be unity, even with differences of opinion. There should be love. There should be maturity. There should be deference. Why? Well, he says, for God has welcomed him. How many times in Romans have we seen that principle? As God has been to us, so should we be to others. Why should we accept the weak in faith? Because God has accepted the weak in faith. Treat others how God has treated you. This is even better than the golden rule, isn't it? Kids, you know the golden rule? Treat others as you wish to be treated. This is even better. Treat others as God has treated you. He has accepted them. He has welcomed them. How dare you do otherwise over secondary matters? This is really helpful, especially when you get criticized. So there's one thing that's difference of opinion, and then there's criticism, right? This, this principle is really helpful to me. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. You know, Southside's a really healthy church. But pastors, you probably know this, they receive a lot of criticism from, from various sides, right? Pandemics tend to pile it on. This principle has been really helpful to me when someone is attacking my theology or, or my leadership, uh, but don't take, it, don't take it personal, pastor. How can I deal with that? I can think, you know what? I think this person's wrong in a host of areas. How should I treat them? How should I respond to them? Well, how's God responded to them? What does Jesus think of the person differing with you? What does Jesus think of the person, we're talking about Christians here, of the person criticizing you, difference of opinion, he gets heated. Well, Jesus loves that person. Jesus shed his blood for that person. Jesus cherishes that person. So what should my posture be? Acceptance, welcome. This word conveys warmth and kindness and gentle love. But diet wasn't the only issue. There was also days. Look at verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own minds. Clearly, we got Jewish issues here. Clearly, we're talking about the Jewish Sabbath, but also Jewish festivals. They were caught up on observing these days. You really want to be holy, you need to observe these days. They hadn't, they hadn't grasped how Christ fulfills the Sabbath. They haven't seen the Christ-centered nature of the Old Testament promises in the law, even though he's told us a lot of times, right? Flip back to Romans 6. If they'd been listening, Romans 6, 14. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. He's talking about the Jewish law. Christians, Gentiles are not under the Jewish law. You're under grace. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. We're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code or look at Romans chapter 10 verse 4 Christ is the end of the law for all who believe they hadn't grasped the freedom that we have in Christ we're not under the Jewish law we don't have to deal with those diets and days that was for them and then not for now with us so they're wanting to bring forth the law on the church and of course days was really important right Kids, do we know what, what commandment the Sabbath was? It's one of the ten, wasn't it? The fourth commandment. It's a pretty big deal. Paul's saying, not anymore. Just be convinced in your own mind. You're free now. Flip over to Galatians. All right, never mind. I'll read it. I'll read it to you. Galatians 4. Listen to this. Formerly, when you did not know God, 
You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Isn't that striking? Did you know that? Before you came to Christ, you were enslaved to what by nature are not gods. In other words, idols, all of us. But now that you come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental spirits of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Well, what are they doing? Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Don't get caught up in rules. You're free. Don't go back. In fact, if you go back, you're going to end up enslaved. Flip over to, or I'll, I'll read it again, Colossians. By the way, the way I memorize Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is go eat pork chops. Because so much of the message of those letters is you're free from the old covenant law. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Notice the similarity of Romans 14. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Let no one judge you about these things. Why? Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He's the end of the law. They had missed that. They didn't see that the rest foreshadowed in the Sabbath is found in resting in Christ. Hebrews 4 says, we rest by ceasing from our works and trusting in him. New covenant Christians aren't bound to the Sabbath. But if Jewish believers want to keep observing the Sabbath just out of tradition. They're more comfortable. Their conscience feels better when they do that. Paul says, fine, that's fine. Notice what he says. Just do whatever is convincing in your own mind. And then he says, just make sure you honor God. Do what you feel led to do. Just honor God in the process. Look again at verse five. One person esteems one day is better than another. That's fine while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Whatever you do, do it in honor of God. Whether you decide to observe a day, whether you decide to eat meat, whether you don't, either way, honor God. And part of what honoring God is honoring his people, treating them with love. That's the key. In fact, in 1 Corinthians there's a similar issue. So 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 are about a similar issue where you had some Christians being totally fine eating meat that had been offered to idols. Then you had some Christians with weaker Christians with weaker conscience. And no, no, I can't do that. I can't eat that meat. It's tainted. And you know how he ends that whole section? Some of you know it. If not, kids, this would be a really good memory verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Memorize it this week. How does he sum up the conversation on whether we should eat or you drink? Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Whatever you end up doing, do it for him because this is why you exist. You exist, your fundamental purpose. Why am I here? 
to glorify God in all things, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our lives are not our own. We do not live or die to ourselves. We are the Lord's. We've been bought with a price. It says this is why Christ came. This is why Christ died. This is why Christ lived again, to be the Lord of all, the strong and the weak. Here's how one commentator puts it. Jesus is Lord of the weak, the teetotaling, Sabbath-keeping, vegetarian Jews. And Jesus is the same, of the same Lord of the strong, the wine-sipping, Saturday-shopping, bacon-munching Gentiles. He's the Lord of all. We confess Jesus is Lord, and we are brothers and sisters. We show forth his lordship through a unified community, through a community that majors on the majors and has love and respect on the minors. This matters a lot to the Lord. And boy, today, turn on the news. Boy, do we have an opportunity today to show forth unity around the lordship of Jesus. Jesus prayed for it. In fact, it's really the only time Jesus ever prayed specifically for us. Let me read John 17. Jesus says, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. What does he pray? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So Jesus is Lord of all, and he's going to be judge of all. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? This is family. Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God, quoting Isaiah 45. So then, each of us, church, will give an account of himself to God. So why are you judging other Christians? That's not your job. That's God's job. He will judge us all, us Christians. We will stand before the judgment seat of God. Used to talk about it a lot more in previous generations. They called it the Bema seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10 puts it this way. We must all, church, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you think about that day? No. You should. You will stand before, that was Bo saying he doesn't think about it, by the way, my two-year-old. <laughs> Welcome to the service, buddy. We've got work to do, apparently. <laughs> it's not a judgment, though, of whether or not you're a Christian. That's justification by faith, right? Have you believed in Jesus? Well, you're standing before God is secure. That's not what we're talking about. But it is a judgment on how we were a Christian. We all will give account of our lives. Our lives will be looked at by the Lord Jesus Christ and fruit will be assessed. Will we receive on that day commendation and approval or not? Will we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Because he won't say that if it's not true. So the strong shouldn't judge. Strong should accept the weak 
and neither should despise one another. And notice the reasons Paul gives here. It's all about theology. We take theology serious at Southside. Romans has been filled with theology. Why? Because it matters in our real life. How does, the, how does theology affect the community here? Well, he mentioned one, we accept one another. Why? Justification by faith. God has accepted us. Why else? Well, he lived and he died and he rose again. Crucifixion and resurrection. Why? That he might be Lord of all and we would come under his lordship. Why should we love one another? Well, we're brothers and sisters. We're family. Why else? Well, eschatology, doctrine of the end times, judgment's coming, and we are all to live in light of the judgment seat of God. All right, so what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us today? Now, most of us are probably not hung up on diet and days, although sometimes Christians kind of get caught up and obsessed with Jewish festivals and all that. I've never quite understood it. Probably most of you though, that's not your issue. We're going to tackle several issues next week of hot button gray matters of today. Sure to offend half the room. But today I want to talk about something else. You know, at Southside, what we do, we walk through books of the Bible. So whatever God has for us in his text for today, that's what's going to be the sermon for the day. Walk through text, and as I looked at the calendar on May 31st, and we decided a couple of weeks when Abbott freed things up, you know what, let's, let's gather on the 31st. I looked at our preaching calendar because we'll be in Romans through July, and I saw Romans 14, 1 to 12. And if I'm honest, I was a little disappointed. But all right, here we are. We're coming back together. Want to celebrate indifferent matters, gray matters, and, and judgment of one another and not. But then I got to thinking it's actually quite fitting and providential. God is sovereign. He wanted us here this morning, especially in light of all the polarity of opinions regarding COVID-19 and how we ought to respond to it. Now, I'm not going to label anyone strong or weak. But on the one hand, some of you think the whole thing's just made up. It's just a leftist ploy to get President Trump out of office. It's just a conspiracy to take away our rights. Didn't you read those 27 articles I posted on Facebook? Didn't you see my 57 links a day? It's all fake news. It's just a frenzy. Didn't you see that picture of all the full beaches on the East Coast? They use the same picture on the West Coast. They're using pictures from Italy and New York City. It's fake news. Nothing should have ever been shut down. Just destroying our economy for no reason. You dare me to act to wear a masks. I dare you. Don't you trust the Lord? Don't you believe God's sovereign? Why are you doing two services? On the other hand, some of you think it's deadly serious, black plague serious. You're probably not here because of it. You might be upset with us. You know what? You shouldn't have opened. It's too soon. You're putting people at risk. And you think the government needs to regulate more heavily. And you sleep in your mask and your hands are raw from washing and you've lost family members and you're anxious and you're not coming back until there's a vaccine. And over the last three months, probably some of you have shifted, changed your tune. Some of you are just done with it. What's God's call to both groups from this text this morning? Both of you need to hear this. Accept one another. Welcome one another. Do not despise one another. Do not judge one another. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He shed his blood for us. Contempt and condemnations over secondary opinions have no place here. Have your opinions. Discuss your opinions. 
but do it with grace and love and humility, not with despising and judgmentalism. Probably many of us have failed in this area in various ways. I know I have. We need to repent. But listen, the reality of our failure in this area and a whole host of others is what makes the good news good news. We are justified by faith. Our sins are forgiven not because we get it right every time. Sins are forgiven, we're declared in the right, not by having it all together, but by believing in a Messiah who does. God is the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. God is the God of new mercy every day. And so let us resolve to be a countercultural people enveloped and motivated and characterized by the grace of God in the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. And let's sing our guts out. <laughs> Father, thank you for the grace of the gospel that we each need so desperately. And Lord, if we hear uh, this good news and our hearts aren't stirred, would you start a flame in our hearts, Lord? Show us our sin, show us your holiness, and change us because we get the gospel eradicate self-righteousness and judgmentalism from our heart and do so by showing us the glory of the grace of Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you again that we're able to get back together even with small steps at first. Lord, we pray that we continue to be able to move forward with strength. And now, Lord, would you, would you be pleased to receive our praise? May we sing strong because you're worthy of strong singing. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.